Unlocking What Was Cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. It's about time that we bring back the term skivvies when returning to underwear. Superman skivvies? Yeah, precisely, Superman hmm. skivvies. Oh, that works with me. No Batman. Oh, uh, and we're live. Oh, well, Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. We're back with Unlocking What Was Cool. I gotta ask you something about elevator door close buttons. What are your opinion on uh, on the close and open buttons for elevators? Well, elevator close buttons, this was actually my topic that I had here, but I appreciate you starting it off strong. Uh, elevator close uh, topic, uh, elevator close buttons. I was listening to the Office Ladies podcast with Jenna Fisher and Angela uh, from The Office, and they were talking about elevator close buttons because I don't know if you remember from The Office when Michael is helping Jim and Dwight out on a sale against Danny Cordray. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were like, they're, they lose the sale, and Michael's mad, and he like is click clicking the elevator close button. Yeah. He's like, why didn't? It's like, it's like, why is it say elevator close if it doesn't even actually close the doors? And uh, <laughs> Jenna went on this this I guess big fact finding mission to find out if uh, if those buttons actually do close the doors. Because then I was thinking about it too. I was like, I feel like those buttons like never actually close it right away. Like you have to like actually click it for a bit, and then mm-hmm. it finally closes the elevator door. And it turns out that. She's kind of right. It, uh, most elevators, especially in the states, that button does not work. Oh, right. I can I can see that. Like the the open button does. That's more for a yes. safety thing, I suppose. But yeah, the closed one, the elevator door's not open that long anyway. So I've never really. I've had some. I've had some slow elevator doors. Oh yeah. Oh, I think God. it's a bit of like a uh, one of those situations where it's kind of like when you push the um, the crosswalk symbol, how you yes. think it speeds up the green light, but it doesn't. Yep. They were literally talking about that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. That's the exact same thing. Yeah, it's kind of like that, where you think it's it makes the light shorter, but it doesn't. It's kind of like a placebo effect, if you will. Exactly. So that's why I wanted to look into it, and I was like, I was like, I was like, oh, like this is real. And then yeah, it, it, it's because it's really because there's a kind of accessibility act that a lot of states have, where they have to have a, a reasonable amount of time that the door is open. Uh, so that someone on crutches or a wheelchair or whatever can get into the elevator or go out of the elevator too. That's funny because I feel like as an able-bodied person, sometimes I don't think I have enough time to get through. So I know, they could probably right? do with making – maybe make it like a fraction of a second longer if you don't mind. But I will say though, I, I this is a, probably not a great story about myself, but uh, <laughs> I'm, not a tr- I'm not a trained actor or anything. But I got to say like like when when the elevator door is closing and like you know how like in your peripheral vision you can kind of see someone – kind of making the lunge for the door like they're just about to make it i am very good at pretending like i can't see them as you should honestly so it's funny because because i had the situation where i was like somewhat running to an elevator but then i I saw i was closing and then but then the the guy kept holding it open for me he's like come on come on i'm like no i'm like too far away he's like oh come on i'm like oh now i'm like inconveniencing everyone else in this elevator like don't hold it open. If 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 there if the person's like far enough away, just just let it go. There another elevator will come. Yeah, I think my thing is like if I can see the person walking to the elevator and you can tell they're hurrying before I'm even on the elevator, then I'll hold it open for them. But like if I'm already in the elevator, I hadn't seen them pre-elevator door starting to make its close like and then they kind of like I see their arm and their face in the you know the the corner of the door. I'm just going to let it go. Um, yeah. I'm not going to wait for that door to open slowly again and then I have to wait that 3.75 seconds or whatever that the door now has to close because I can't control the closing, obviously, of the door. It's just too much time out of my day that I just can't sacrifice. I can't sacrifice that either, Neil. That's minutes of life that I'll be losing. That but, I will uh... <laughs> never get back in in all of my days, but glad that we could get glad that we could get that uh, that whole thing sorted out. One more thing that I wanted to sort out with you, Mike, though, before we get on to the uh, topic of the day is the proper way to open a juice box straw. Ooh, I like yeah. this. Okay. Yeah, I was talking about this with my uh, with my fiance a couple of weeks ago, actually, and I wrote it down because I figured, okay, we need to get this into uh, into the podcast at some point. Now, I, I kind of had to think about this. I thought of three probably most popular ways. I'm sure that there's probably six or seven ways to get the uh, the straw open on a juice box and and how you interact with the with the juice box product. And I wanted to know which one you think is the correct way. Now, uh, there's taking the straw off of the juice box completely and and you hit the straw against something to, you know, jam the straw out of the little plastic packaging. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you peel the straw out of the wrap and keep the wrap attached to the juice box? Or do you just 
keep the straw on the juice box completely and just poke a hole in the juice box and like squirt it into your mouth like you're a goalie in the NHL? Oh, good question. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to like like visualize my my movements here. What do I do? Um, I definitely take the straw. Ooh, no. You know what? I think I, I I think I try and take the straw out while leaving the wrapper on the juice box. Really? That's what I do. Yeah, I'm I'm a peel the straw out, keep okay. the wrap on, and then just you know puncture it in there. Yep. Okay. See, I was always like take the entire straw and the wrapper off the juice box, so you get like two little glue rips out of the design of <laughs> <Yeah>. the Del Monte <laughs> packaging or whatever it was, and then I would like just jam it against the table. Sometimes you'd break the straw, and then you're really screwed. <laughs> Um, now no, you, don't you have need a... to keep that packaging in, intact. It's, oh, I know. it's worthless if it's, if it's ripped off. <laughs> once, once the, once the straw has broken, if there's a crack in that, you no longer need to use that straw. Uh, I do remember kids though, like they were definitely the anarchists of the class who would just like pencil or pen into the top of the juice box oh. and just spray that, you know, squirt the juice into their mouth. Like, like I said, like they're Eddie Belfour, like, you know, between periods. <laughs> um, so yeah, you were a peel of the straw out of the wrap guy, which is what my fiance said too. That's what she said. I, I was shocked. I did not know that people did that. I guess it makes sense because her point was like, well, now you have to throw away a juice box and you got to keep track of this wrapper. Yes. And I was thinking I probably just throw that wrapper on the ground when I was a kid. I didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's that's true. Maybe as a kid, I just did what you did, but I don't I don't have too much memories of, of the opening of juice boxes. I was more just focused on getting the juice out in any means necessary. Right? Absolutely. But <laughs> but as an adult drinking juice boxes as you do, I uh, <laughs> uh, I, I'm de- I definitely pull it off because of what your fiance just said there. Yeah. Uh, taking I don't want to. I don't want to hold that little tiny piece of plastic that is a hundred percent just going to fly away. I'm going to forget about it because you oh. know I don't want to litter. I don't want to be that guy. Oh no, I didn't litter outside. I meant the classroom where we we stayed <laughs> lunch in. I didn't care fun. about. Yeah, you don't care about that room. <laughs> Everything ended up on the floor in those rooms. Absolutely. <laughs> Do you have in your mind a best juice box brand or flavor? Yeah, Oasis. I really like the Oasis juice boxes. Oasis. Um, okay. Mango specifically oh. was was my uh, go to even um, as a kid. As a, uh, I don't know if I did that as a kid because again I don't remember I remember f- like the the fruit juice ones that are like blue and is that Del Monte? Do I think you know what I mean? I think I'm picturing the Minute Maid one. That was the one Minute that my Maid. mom always. I had Minute Maid fruit punch every day. I can remember that flavor. <laughs> it's in my brain. That's probably not good. <laughs> no, probably not. It's all that. It's color number five or whatever it is that was in there that made it taste like that. That's the one that I had the most of. But okay, Cap- Capri Suns were really special though. Those oh, were yeah. delicious. Capri Suns were good. Grape juice Capri is also really good from a juice box. Grape juice is good from a juice box because I also had the Oasis kind of grape. It was a grape raspberry kind of mm. like it was. It was some like the darker berries, darker like grapes uh, yeah. zone. The edgy berries, yeah. The, <laughs> the edgy <laughs> berries. <laughs> so I had the edgy berry combo uh, a lot, but but some of my friends they might be listening right now who uh, went to university with me always remember me bringing multiple juice boxes to college right and uh, and <laughs> and especially for the early classes for those 8 ams I needed juice boxes to get me through I'm not a coffee drinker mm. uh, I drink tea but I didn't wasn't drinking too much in college so it was juice boxes uh, Oasis mango juice boxes nice. yeah, I'm, the classes I was gonna say mango feels like an adult flavor I don't remember I don't remember having a mango before the age of 20. So I would have been shocked that you would have been like one of the uh, like oh that's one of those rich kids or something drinking mango juice in, uh, in grade in grade six. But I'm gonna leave this uh, this topic on one more note. I don't know why, but apple juice tastes best out of a metal can. I've never been able to ex- I've never been able to explain why. Actual fact, right yeah. there. I a hundred percent endorse and agree with that opinion because mm-hmm. yeah, and and I I think also it's a childhood thing. Like I think you and I both remember seeing the can of Allen's yeah. apple juice ready to go at any moment. You're like, oh, this could be the day we might get <laughs> apple juice. <laughs> and you had to like find a way to bust it open. Like you had a special can opener. It kind of is the same as like having a bag of milk, which we do in Canada. It's the same mm-hmm. thing. Like you put this can of apple juice back in your fridge, and you now have this open can in your fridge that. <laughs> Is going bad by the second because it's fruit juice, so it's just going flat and stale and everything. But, I mean, apple juice didn't last long in our house anyway. But glad that we could get to the bottom of that. I guess I'm probably the one opening juice boxes wrong, just like we figured out on the GameCube School podcast. I load dishwashers incorrectly. So I'm learning well, new things every day. Well, that was a 50-50. Oh, was that it? Was a oh, 50/50. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We learned nothing. 
That's true. That's true. Sometimes you just have to learn nothing in a day. But anyway, <laughs> a quick Patreon message before we get the episode started. The first round of the Patreon-selected episode selection is up for our March Patreon episode. Supporters on Patreon can go over and vote. If no one votes, Mike and I will just pick the episode ourselves. Uh, the Patreon episode will be on the last day of every month. So yeah, check back on the last Thursday of March, and we will have our Patreon episode with topics submitted by our Patreon supporters. So we look forward to that episode very much. A new format for us. So I think it's about time that we talk about today's album of the day. What do you think? That's right, Neil. We are starting a little new format here on Unlocking What Was Cool. Of course, a series, our second series in our What Was Cool series. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, of course, did the GameCube is cool. Now we're unlocking things that are cool. And this will be our first album. So we're going to be doing a little things a little differently and talking about some music only on uh, this podcast. That's right. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode two of Unlocking What Was Cool, the show where we talk about all things retro from the things that we loved from the 2000s and the 90s. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. We are probably still the number one GameCube podcast on the internet, but now we're the number one podcast on the internet hosted by people named Mike and Neil. You can subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating or a review so we can make the show better. You can support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash what was cool. Supporters get the option to submit and vote on topics for one episode every month, and we'll get access to our bonus content whenever we decide to make that. Last week, we talked about the classic Wii game Kirby's Return to Dreamland. If you haven't already, go back and check it out. This week, we are talking about one of the best alt-rock albums from the 1990s, an album that influenced countless punk and emo bands in the 2000s, the seminal 1994 Weezer record known as the Blue Album. Mike, before we talk about the Blue Album, let's talk about some fun Weezer facts and our memories of discovering this band when we were growing up in the 90s and 2000s. What, uh, what are your earliest memories of the band Weezer? Oh boy, lots of lots of great memories about Weezer, and of course, Neil, this is the Blue Album episode, but it's technically not called the Blue Album. It's just uh, that's just mm-hmm. what we call it because there's lots of colors of albums for Weezer <laughs> and lots of self-titled albums. So when this came out in 1994, this was just Weezer by Weezer. That's right. They started with the self-titled album, but later on, we know it as the Blue Album now. I don't remember a time where it was known as Weezer. No. Kind of the same as like Star Wars. I don't remember a time when the 19 19- uh, 77 Star Wars was called just Star Wars. I always just remember A New Hope, but mm-hmm. uh, for a short time, people just called it Star Wars. Um, but yeah, I remember in the late 90s, early 2000s, specifically songs like Say It Ain't So, Buddy Holly, and mainly Say It It's So and Buddy and Holly being on the radio, um, oh, yeah. hearing it from time to time here and there. And then eventually, really nothing between that and Beverly Hills was the other song. Uh, that, that song was everywhere. I mean, as much as it's it not a, it's not a great song, but uh, Weezer's album Make Believe was really their their mainstream hit, especially with Beverly Hills, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but I think it was really probably grade nine that I really started to get into other Weezer songs, um, especially when uh, Guitar Hero 3 came out. And My yes. Name is Jonas is one of the earliest songs you play in that. And that opening riff just blew my mind, the opening riff to My Name is Jonas, which is also the opening track on the Blue Album and still one of my favorite opening tracks on any album ever um for the longest time though i was mostly uh, a singles guy when it came to weezer like i liked uh, all of their songs that you know island in the sun pork and beans uh my name is jonas say it ain't so all the songs that people know i didn't really know much of their discography until honestly probably 2015 like in college university you and i we really mm-hmm. started to get into them started to go into their catalog uh, for better or worse uh, the albums that came out while we were in high school but specifically we really got into weezer in 2013 to 2016 where they put out everything will be all right in the end and the and the white album um but i listened to the blue album and pinkerton as well but i listened to the blue album at least once a week probably almost every single week i just throw it on every so often um i know that album front to back uh yeah. it's incredible love the track listing uh, love the lyrics, love the music that's in it, and uh, it's really grown on me, and uh, it just ceases to get old, despite the fact that it's now, gosh, 29 years old, which is just crazy to think. Yeah, it's, I mean, the Blue Album, as we're going to say many times, is just so, it, it's just so iconic in so many different ways, and mm-hmm. we'll go into that, but yeah, for me, my memories, not the Weezer song, memories, that's not a good song. Mm, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my memories of Weezer, um, and specifically the Blue Album, I, I vividly remember having my name is Jonas and Buddy Holly on my first MP3 player when I was probably about like 12 or 13 years old. This was That's like I, 50% I, of the memory on that thing, dude. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had just upgraded from my Walkman and mm. that was a big, that was a big day. And I remember on the bus playing those songs 
And um, LimeWire told me that they were from the Green Album. So, you know, very good. (laughs) Miss on LimeWire there, (laughs) like always. (laughs) I I love those songs, and I love the other Weezer hits, like you were kind of saying there, the singles that we definitely knew Pork and Beans, Beverly Hills. And yeah, for me, it wasn't until late high school, I think, maybe early university, that I really started to dive into Blue Album, Pinkerton, maybe Green Album a bit there too. And and it really sticking with me because. I, I think these songs were very much written for people in that phase of life, right? Definitely. So I identified really hard with it, and, and I obviously loved the songs. And, and I learned, you know, I tried to learn how to play some of these songs on different instruments. And I, I got a copy of the deluxe edition uh, on CD that same year, played the hell out of it. And uh, I knew all the B-sides, uh, and to this day, uh, it's probably one of the few albums that I can probably recite every lyric to. Uh, mm-hmm. very few that I think I can do that too. I, I remember talking to a friend of the show, Dan, about that. Um, and cause he asked me like a, the question of like, what album can you probably say every lyric to? And I, th- I think it's the blue album. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, not to mention it, it was a huge gateway drug into everything else in that kind of style, right. For both of us or, or for everyone our age at that time, uh, yeah. uh Jimmy World, the uh, sunny day real estate, uh, friend of the show, Marty, who loves to get up kids. You know, that's another great example of kind of that, like yeah. melodic emo that was coming out of the nineties and early two thousands. And, and of course, even Weezer's other stuff, uh, uh, I, I really didn't know other, th- uh, things other than the singles and, I, I explored a little bit into Maladraw, which is actually a really good album. Good I like one. that album a lot. Yeah. Uh, and the Red album, which I didn't end up liking, but that's mm. okay. <laughs> I like Troublemaker uh, on that album. I think that's an okay yeah, song. Yeah. Uh, Weezer is very much a good greatest hits band when it when it comes to mm. after um, yeah. Blue and Pinkerton for sure. But uh, yeah, it's 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 interesting though because if you think about it for us, uh, you know, these like seventeen year olds listening to Weezer in twenty ten. The, the image that you had of Weezer in 2010 is, is actually kind of similar to what it is today, which is basically a meme, you know? Yeah, they're nerds. Uh, yeah, yeah, they're, ner- they're nerds, and, and, and their songs became uh, very much just these super commercial pop songs, yeah. right? And that's really all they were for a lot of the 2000s and, and now have kind of gone back to that attempt at, at that style, right? And everyone knew the hits, uh, and, and they become they became so big that... You know, they were almost uh, like jokes on themselves as well, right? And uh, it, it was nice to see them have a little bit of a critical resurgence there in, like you said, Neil, uh, Everything Will Be All Right in the End, and the White Album in 2014 and 2016, mm-hmm. where they were kind of going back to their roots and just putting out really good music made by the four of them with not a lot of, uh, of frills around it. And, you know, they still make music today. They have their Seasons EPs yeah. that have been coming out. Yep. I haven't really listened to them, but I'm sure they're 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 Weezer, you know. That yeah. that's that's they're gonna keep putting out music for as long as they're alive, for sure. Especially Rivers, right? But uh, yeah, I think uh, this this is the album that started it all. And you know, I I think we forget that Weezer in 1994 was just this group of four guys who made their first album, and all of a sudden went went, went double platinum. Like that's like mm-hmm. an insane thing to think of, and the fact that it was made in 1994 when grunge was just really the only thing alive at that point. Uh, and you, then you just kind of switch uh, completely to this super melodic style uh, of melodies and, and, and their rhythms and everything, which is so different compared to what bands like Nirvana or Soundgarden or, 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 or other guys in the grunge and post-grunge scene were putting out. So mm-hmm. it's pretty amazing to think of it in that sense uh, and, and, and putting ourselves in 1994. Yeah, I always admire, you and I both admire bands whose first album is critically their best album and sometimes commercially and sometimes we agree that it's their best. And I think you can make the argument, I typically do, that Pinkerton is better. I, it depends on the day, honestly. Some yep. days I prefer yep. Pinkerton, some days I prefer Blue. I don't think you're right or wrong. Either one you pick are great. But Blue Album is is just a darling album and so many bands would kill to have an album just a fraction as good as the blue album is and uh i also really admire bands that like weezer did in a time when grunge was huge and even like ska was starting to come back in the early 90s they decided to make this kind of garage rock sort of just they were just trying to do their own thing yeah they're just trying to do their own thing almost design their own genre of music they they had a lot of different influences like Kiss and the Pixies, and they just tied it all together. Uh, Rivers was had a very interesting uh, childhood. He grew up like, in a very spiritual family and, and everything like that. So uh, very interesting where they got all of their inspirations from to, uh, mm-hmm. to, to make this album. And I know that they had trouble marketing themselves in the 90s because – People did not want to hear this type of music. Uh, they really are almost ahead of their time in a way. 
it seems like the older that they get, the more people seem to appreciate this band and this album to the point where it almost feels like now they transcend all genres. And it seems like you can play songs from more so their earlier days, but you can play songs from their first decade of being a band in almost any audience and people will get into it. Like you can play one of their big songs, like My Name is Jonas, in a stadium at a sporting event, people will get into it. Or you could play their album uh, with your, like we did with our nerdy friends while we're playing Smash Bros and we got into it. And you can play it for your parents and they will get into it. Like it seems like that they just transcend all genres now and have become one of those unifying bands that that not many bands can say that they do that so i i love them for that uh 100 so yeah really excited to talk about uh this album but before we do mike i wanted i wanted to try and bring a new Hmm. reoccurring segment to uh to this podcast i don't know what to call it yet but i think i want to just call it for today (laughs) the spotify inspection and the point of this is i love spotify that's what i used to listen to all of my podcasts and albums on And whenever I check out a band that I love or a band that I'm just getting into, I always like and check and see what their top four uh, popular or most streamed albums are and songs too. But I also like to check and see the albums and see how accurate they are or where I should get started if I'm just getting into this band. And uh, I'm going to go through the top four most popular Weezer albums, Mike, and we can give a verdict and maybe we can uh, recommend what we think the top four albums should be. Mm, Let's hear it. Let's hear it. All right, cool. So number one is Seasons, Winter. Number two is The Green Album. Number three, Make Believe. And number four, Pinkerton. Hmm. I would get this verdict I mean, bad if I had to just <laughs> straight up. <laughs> I mean, obviously, the first one is probably going to be the newest, you know, release. That's yeah. that's what Spotify does. They want to push you the newest stuff. Sure. Uh, interesting on The Green Album, number two. I guess The Green Album does have Isle in the Sun. Um, Hashpipe, you know, Pork what, and Beans. Hashpipe. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's... It's got it's got the big ones for sure. Make believe with uh, uh, Beverly Hills, and then Pinkerton just because they need to satisfy the fans. <laughs> <laughs> Don't piss off the Pinkerton supporters. <laughs> yeah, is 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 yeah. So it makes sense. I don't like it, but it makes sense for sure. Uh, what do you think it should be? I think it should be Blue Album. Okay, so it, it's, this isn't what I want. This is what I think it should be in terms of popularity, and probably okay. if I was to tell somebody. Here are the Weezer albums to give you an idea of this band. I would say number one, Blue Album. Number two, Green Album, which is where it is. Number three, Pinkerton. And number four, The White Album. I would 100% agree with that. I I love that. Uh, I mean, that's obviously us coming at it at at our critical angle. And Spotify is like, no, commercials. Let's just just push. Let's just push what. (laughs) I think that's how Spotify does it. I really don't know how. I'm just on Spotify right now. It says popular releases. So I'm assuming that that means streams. I don't know anybody. I mean, you're really the only Weezer fan that I talk to on a regular basis. No one I know or you have talked to me about seasons. You haven't talked to me about anything Weezer since the White Album, which was almost ten years ago now, which is crazy. Um, well, that that that's that that number one slot is reserved for the newest release. I guess so. Yeah. yeah. So I guess Green Album is technically their number one. It's really just the fact that Blue Album is not in the top four that bothers me. I, I know. Yeah. I was also really surprised about that too. That it's not top four, but. Uh... Oh well, Neil. We'll 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 get we'll become an executive at Spotify real soon and and, and correct these errors. But yeah. uh, before we do that, why don't you give us the stats for Weezer's first self-titled album? Sure thing. The Blue Album, or the album simply titled Weezer, was released on May tenth, nineteen ninety four. Performed by Weezer, produced by Rick Okasek, clocks in at forty one minutes and thirty six seconds. Sold fifteen million copies worldwide as of two thousand and nine. It's an alt rock power pop emo album. And I don't think that we're going to do ratings for albums here on this uh, nope. on these types of episodes. Uh, most of the albums that we out. cover in the show, <laughs> we think they're pretty cool. And music is super subjective, uh, even more subjective than video games. So uh, we're not going to yeah. do ratings at all. But Mike, if I was uh, walking around Music World or HMV in 1994, uh, why don't you kind of explain to me what I would see if I were to pick up a copy of Weezer's Blue Album on uh, on CD? What's you know happening on the front and what's the track listing on the back? Well, of course, it's got one of the most iconic, most memed album covers of all time with just a lovely shade of blue. It's it's one of the most unique blues I've ever seen. I I honestly love it. This is not a bit. <laughs> it just it's so it's 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 got that kind of like tealish blue. It's a it's a it's a great cover uh, with the Weezer font in the top right corner and the four boys uh, with their feet cut off on the album cover. We got uh, Patrick Wilson. We got Rivers Cuomo. We got uh, Matt Sharp, and of course we have Brian Bell on the cover there. And their feet are on the back. And uh, mm-hmm. the track listing on the back 
Of course, is My Name is Jonas, uh, which is one of the singles. Uh, no One Else, The World Has Turned and Left Me Here, Buddy Holly, another single. Undone, aka The Sweater Song, another single. Surf Rocks America, Say It Ain't So, another single. In the Garage, Holiday, and Only in Dreams, which is the fifth single of this. So, of course, it did sell 15 million units. So, uh, the record company Geffen, of course, Geffen Records, uh, they made sure to push these singles as far as they could. And and keep uh, pushing albums out. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think this is one of the best uh, album covers uh, in terms of, uh, especially for a debut like this, in terms of a self-titled album. Uh, the Even like the even down to like the, the clothing that they're wearing, yeah. right? You know exactly what this record is going to sound like looking at these guys. <laughs> yeah, you can almost hear it just by looking at it. Like you can tell it's not going to be like, a, it's not going to be a metal album, that's for sure. It's not going to be a grunge album. They literally just... They look like the nerds in high school. Like, it's terrific. And they're all around the age of, I think, 20. I think Rivers was 22 in 1992. Yep. Born in yep. 1970. So the album was compared, the cover was compared to the Feelies album, Crazy Rhythms. And they do look fairly similar. You can see the uh, you can see the similarities. But I like what you said there, how this, uh, this album is one of the more memed albums ever. Like, a lot of people will copy it. You'll see it. Um, you know, just people, anybody standing in front of anything now is basically compared to the blue album. If you see four people standing, staring forward, not exactly looking thrilled to be there. That's probably what it is. It's up there with being one of the more uh, memed album covers, kind of like Nevermind, Nirvana's Nevermind or the Beatles Abbey Road. Those are the other two albums that kind of came to mind for me, at least in terms of uh, top three most memed albums of all time. Um, but yeah, I do appreciate Weezer's dedication to doing colored albums. We've now had blue, green, red, white, teal, and uh, I think black was the most recent color album. And Mike, I did want to mm-hmm. ask you something. If you had to mm. pick between only listening to Weezer, the color albums that they have, or their actually titled albums, which would you pick? So you have to give up basically Ooh, half of their uh, half of their discography. Oh, that's a really tough one, actually. That's a good question. Mm. If we um, we don't have a guest on today, just just you and me, Neil. I'm just but, interviewing uh, you we... today, Mike. Just you and me. Yeah. Baby. <laughs> <laughs> but if, if we did have a guest, that would be a great question for them. Yeah. Because yeah, that that is really tough. Um, first, it's tough, thought... but it's easy at the same time for me. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. First thought would be to keep the colors. Um, uh, I think I would I would keep them, even though I th- I really love Maladraw and Pinkerton. Obviously, Pinkerton. Is like probably one of my favorites, but uh, yeah, I, I love blue and blue is just so like I can put blue on anytime. I feel like I can't put Pinkerton on anytime, so that's why I would I would keep it. Also, <laughs> Green Album is a really good just working music, um, and I love the White Album, so that's right, where I would I would sit with that. I was gonna say the same thing. I would have a hard time giving up Pinkerton, and Everything Will Be All Right in the End is another really good one. The, not a colored mm. album, but I feel like I would be missing it way out on Blue and the White Album if I were to give up the colored albums. Um, I like the true. I really struggle to get into the Green Album for some reason. I don't know what it is. I love the singles, like I love Island in the Sun and all the ones that we've talked about already. But for some reason, just the other tracks like Photograph and some of the other ones are just not. They just don't do it for me. I don't know yeah. what it is. Yeah. It just felt like a bit too much of a pop album, but it's the sound that they kind of went for for the majority of their career. Um, but nevertheless, I think I would go with the uh, the color albums for sure. I agree, Neil. I agree. And now I would, if you don't mind, I'd like to go through some of these tracks. And um, sure, we're actually going to hear them here, Neil, because instead of just talking about music, if you can believe it, uh, because just talking about music kind of sucks. It's sometimes nice to hear it. So mm-hmm. uh, why don't we play uh, the number one track and a couple seconds of this and then we can talk about it. And these clips are going to be a little shorter than what we have on Patreon because, of course, copyright exists. So if you want to hear a longer version of the clips to kind of get a sense of the album and everything, go over to Patreon, support us there, and you can hear the full episode this way. Such a lovely intro. Beautiful. My God. And that's just like the the production value on that is just so fantastic like i i think that's where rick okazak really came in so of course rick okazak uh the the front man of the cars we love the cars here geffen brought him in because weezer actually didn't i think rivers didn't want to have a producer on the blue album and um they did end up settling with rick and you could you could see like the power pop sensibilities and like kind of new wave production that he brought here from the cars and from their albums and i think it works perfectly yeah i love the call and response almost like between the the beautiful acoustic guitar and that uh, that riff is just so iconic and very hard to play um yeah <laughs> just that 
that iconic riff and then paired with the heavy just down strums of the guitar and the bass which sounds so heavy and just the the drums like it's all downstrokes it's all very easy to play but it just works so well uh for each one and then the lyrics thrown in as well perfect like the song tells a story too which i love for the longest time true story i thought the lead singer of weezer's name was jones (laughs) because of the song like i just figured okay his I mean, before I had the wherewithal to read uh, CD booklets and before we had YouTube to watch these interviews, uh, I assumed the lead singer's name was Jonas. And that's uh, that's a true story. Honestly, uh, that's fair. I mean, LimeWire might have just called it <laughs> that too. But it said, my name is Jonas by Jonas himself. But uh... <laughs> Jonas Brothers, too, at the same time. Not good timing, unfortunately. But <laughs> yeah, still love that song. I can listen to that song infinitely and never get tired of it. Good guitar solo, too, in there. I agree. I um, agree. And yeah, next track, No One Else, which is uh, another classic. No One Else was, was, I really like it as a second song. It's a perfect second track. Uh, for one, though, the way it leads in perfectly from My Name is Jonas, uh, it's got like the right rhythm for it. I don't know. I, I'm a big fan of second tracks, Neil. That's like, that's just, that's just another topic in, in general. But second tracks <laughs> is where I feel like the album comes together. <laughs> yeah, you see, I... I feel like that track listing and, and ordering of tracks in general is somewhat of a dead art. And listening yes. to this album, if I were to listen to it, I can't listen to this album on shuffle. That's for no. sure. Like it just makes sense. Each al- each song, uh, the way it, it just flows so well. I don't know who was in charge of final track listing for this one, but they did a perfect job of, uh, I, I wouldn't change a single thing about it. Uh, no one else. It's it's an interesting song because it's it's a love song in a way, but it's kind of hard to listen to. Like, I don't know if it's aged particularly well, because it's, it's yeah. Rivers talking about a girl who literally just wants to be around him. Like, he's looking for someone to be obsessed with him, basically. And it's a very awkward love song to listen to. It's written by a, a guy in his late teens, early 20s. So I don't think it's... I've heard people call this song sexist. I don't think I agree with that particularly. I just think it's a, a bit of a cringy love song. Yeah, <laughs> it's a cringy love song yeah. written in 1994. That's basically all that needs to be said, <laughs> said for that, for sure. But the third track uh, of this album, mm-hmm. The World Has Turned and Left Me Here, and I really love the end of this It's uh, right before that, of course, is the little call and response with Matt Sharp and Rivers. Uh, Do you believe what I see? Yeah. And I, I always used to kind of go uh, scroll, but like past everything to that part, just because I don't know. I really, I really like the melodies that, and like the, the harmonies that they do. Uh, with that and i love the ending of that it like ends on this kind of weird i think it's like a some kind of seven like some kind of minor seven okay that they're just kind of playing those arpeggiated notes on and and it it just gives it gives something else to just a, a pretty standard pop song yeah and again like just like with my name is jonas like i love the use of the electric guitars the heavy bass just fading out leaving just the acoustic playing another yeah. incredible riff like the acoustic guitar riffs in this album are all bangers i i really need to learn them all they're just they're really hard to play i don't know what it is but the world has turned and left me here is an incredibly sad song like it's the lyrics are yeah. really really dark like there's one where he says like i talked for hours to your wallet photograph you and you just listened you laughed enchanted by my intellect or maybe you didn't like there's some really heavy stuff here that even though written in 1992, I mean, people don't have wallet photographs anymore, but it just, it's a song about a, a lonely person, you know, talking about talking to someone's picture. Like, it's just a sad story. Just, I, I can't exactly relate to it, but it's just, I don't know. Like, it's just like Rivers is an incredible lyricist, especially in these early days. Uh, when they started writing more of their poppier stuff, I didn't quite connect with it uh, quite the same, but we can all relate to uh, basically times changing, people moving on, people dying, uh, relationships come and go, and this is kind of one of those songs that make you make you think about that. It's uh, this is one of the songs on the album that gives it that emo uh, label that so many people yes. tie Weezer to. Hundred percent. This is this is the emo song. Yeah, I, I think say. so. This and yeah. Only in Dreams, which we will uh, get to later on. But uh, next is the big one, uh, Buddy Holly himself. Mm-hmm. It's terrific. This is a great song. And this is one of their, it, it's funny how it's played right after one of their saddest songs on the album. Because yeah. this is one of the more happier songs on the album, at least musically. It's quite a bit more upbeat and uh, it's fun to sing along, talking about looking just like Buddy Holly, which Rivers Como does look quite a bit like Buddy Holly. So I think it's <laughs> it's pretty funny. And it's also paired really well with the music video that came out for, uh, for this song, oh Buddy Holly, which yes. is, they use bits of... Um, 
happy days. It's uh, it's as if that they're they've spliced it with actual scenes from the episodes from back in the day to make it look like that the band Weezer are performing to the cast of Happy Days, which is very clever. The only thing that I would have done with that music video to make it even better was at one point they they cut the song and they go to a fake commercial break to say yeah. Happy Days, we'll be right back kind of thing. And I really wish that they had actually made a commercial, like a, a <laughs> fake old school commercial with the band. I think that that would have been a lot of fun. I'm sure that maybe they, they would have loved to have done it. That's the type of thing that we would do. Yes. We make we make fake uh, we make fake advertisements on this podcast all the time. So that would have been that would have been really cool. But no, just a, a really fun song. Not nothing super stand out to me. It's just a good song to sing along. The solo to, for me. The solo, I guess, is true, too. Yeah. And you can also really hear their um, influence from the Beach Boys in this one. 100%. Yeah, very much a Beach Boys influence song. And yeah, this is I, the solo is just so crisp. And like, again, the production, just such a, a crisp sound there, especially when he does the. <laughs> and yeah, the music video. Uh, Spike Jones, who, of course, he directed the Scene Ain't So music video as well as the. Um, uh, my name the is Jonas. Buddy Holly music video. And my, my name is Jonas as well. He did a bunch of them. And Spike Jones, this was kind of his first foray into this stuff, which is insane. But uh, he's now become his own, in his own right, a great filmmaker. You know, he's done uh, being John Malkovich, which is a very another kind of surreal style. I feel like he got his ideas maybe from doing stuff like this with splicing the Happy Days uh, stuff into into Buddy Holly, and then he also did Her, uh, the um, oh, yeah. that movie with uh, Joaquin Phoenix, as uh, talking to Scarlett Johansson, who is a, a kind of AI, I believe. That's what the the plot is but yeah this is the the music video is honestly just like a master class yeah of how to do something like this right and so many so many things have kind of copied this idea since like you you see this all the time now in ads in in music videos in in shows and movies like like so much of the splicing between you know the old old stuff and and new stuff mm-hmm. and uh and they did it great uh you know it is the editing is you can kind of see where they would have done it nowadays but when this came out in 94 on mtv this was huge and so was the saying ain't so music video and that's another thing that i remember at least about weezer growing up is i remember seeing them uh seeing these music videos in the 2000s even be be played a lot on uh for us in canada it was much music uh, i remember seeing uh, weezer videos especially like beverly hills i remember seeing yeah. that uh, music video played a lot, but uh, definitely. Uh, speaking of, let's go to uh, the next song here. Undone, the sweater song by Weezer. This is one of my favorite songs on the album. Probably my, it's in top three for sure. This is such yeah. a classic song. <laughs> the intro is so iconic. Just a dude at a party. <laughs> it's it's about an introvert at a party basically and being so yeah. uh, but just about being socially awkward which I think a lot of people can relate to like I'm I'm not a party person I I don't consider myself a party person so whenever I hear this song it's just super relatable and I I love the intro just a slow guitar I think they're just switching between C G and D but it's half a step down um, yes. And two guys talking to each other, and eventually there's another verse like that where he's talking to a girl and he's not doing well at it at all. It's just (laughs) another really cool song that tells a story that everyone can relate to being at a college party that's just not a good vibe. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's really good. Another song also that has a great music video paired with it. It's just the band performing. I think this one might actually have been the first music video that they made for the album. Yes. Uh, yeah, it and was. it's just the band performing on a stage, and uh, they look like they're not really giving it their all. It's hard to explain. It's it's a worth watch for sure. Not my favorite music video for the album, but still really good. By the end of it, it's just complete madness. They're on stage. They're not even really playing their instruments anymore. Dogs are running across the screen for some reason. I don't know what that was a reference to, but <laughs> the song itself is uh, is is really well done. It's great. I mean, I, I love the intro is so good. I believe that's Carl Koch, who is uh, kind of the fifth member of Weezer, who's who's there talking uh, while other people are talking to him. And yeah, it's just so relatable, like you said. Yeah. <laughs> I love putting that on. There's a really great, great cover of this song by uh, Mac DeMarco. Uh, if you want to look that up, it's, I think he did it for AV underground back in the day and it's, it's so well done. And, and he takes such a great approach to it. And his bandmates are kind of just like, they, they had to learn the song and they obviously know this song, but they had to learn the song in the van while they were <laughs> traveling to the gig. I thought that was the video that, that this was. Yeah. They literally had like a day to learn it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I remember looking at the list and I said, Oh, there's a Weezer song. Very chill. Probably easier than covering like another song. So, uh, you know. 
We were able to learn it in the car on the drive here, which is only two and a half hours. It's not that much time to learn a song. And he, he kills it. He does a great job. And his band members are just kind of like, instead of saying the, like, the lines there, they're like, yeah, okay. Yeah, they screw up the words all the time in the song. But the rest of the the music sounds great that they do for it. It's it's funny. And that is, of course, where the line, this Superman skivvies comes from that we talked about at the beginning of this episode. So it's another one of these songs that's really goofy, nerdy, socially awkward. Yep. has a touch of depression, but it's kind of it's poking fun at uh, being self-aware, basically, yep. uh, which is really good. And then we move on to the next track, track number six on the album, which is Surf Wax America, which is a, just a dorky song, basically about River singing about how surfing to work is more fun than driving to work. That's kind of all I get from this song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically, you'll you can take your car to work. I'll take my board. This is very mm-hmm. much the California so, uh, part of this, right? You know, we another Beach Boys. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, we talked about the Beach Boys a little bit for influences here, and yeah, it just keeps going with Surf Wax America. I feel like like the White Album, which is very much a, a California like surfing kind of album, is really just stems from Surf Wax America in terms of the the melodies and everything. So it was cool. I I really like when bands do that when they take a, a song or two from one album and really expand on it for an entire album after that. Because uh, I love to see that progression. It's harder to see, I feel, nowadays, just because the music industry is just even more, really harder to make money in, honestly. Uh, and and it's really hard for bands to innovate because people like to see the, the and hear the same things over and over again is basically what record companies uh, push. So... It's really neat when you see a band take a song and take a, a theme from an album and then expand on that for the next one. But uh, uh, yeah. here's a, an album that, or here's a song that has a great theme that uh, I like playing at least. <laughs> Classic intro. I, uh, this is easily the best song on the album or at least the most popular the most commercially successful song killer intro i love that kind of i don't know what to call it that bluesy jazzy riff that with the hammer-ons and the pull-offs it's it's really well done the song itself is not a happy song it's about river's relationship with his dad and his stepdad and alcoholism so it's uh it's not an upbeat song by any stretch and this is another one of those songs that gives it the album the uh the emo label yep Yep. The lyrics for this song are so incredible. Uh, I love how each each verse tells a different story. I love the uh, the bridge um, where he's kind of it's kind of like a letter to both of his dads, I suppose, at the same time. And I don't know, Mike, you take it away because you, you know this song in and out. <laughs> We've been covering this song probably for close to a decade now on uh, on our respective instruments. So and you, you sing it pretty much every time that we play it. Say it ain't so. Uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's a great song. Um, uh, obviously I, you know, first thoughts when you first hear stating. So, uh, in like the critical sense, like the bass is so good. It's such mm-hmm. a good bass song. And, and honestly in the entire album, like Matt Sharp credit where credit is due well, great bassist. And he kills it for this. One thing I was reading about the, the album while we we're doing some research on it, uh, was the fact that they all really wanted it to sound like a, a 10 string instrument was playing at all times. And I thought that was a cool kind of way to think about it and the idea was whenever the guitar is playing the bass is playing as well but really complementing it uh and at every step of the way and you you hear that certainly less so in state and so but you really hear it on things like uh undone and buddy holly where it's just like this like wall of sound that's coming through with those two instruments and um yeah saying and so uh it's a really fun song to play on piano at least for me uh and because it is a sad song so you can playing it on the piano i usually play in uh, with a capo two uh because capo four is a little too high uh because that's what the actual song is in so capo two is a nice like i don't know it gives it like more of a, like a sadder melodic feel and uh and it's yeah yeah i love playing it i love it when sad songs are fun to play like, it's kind of yeah. like it shouldn't be fun to play. Like, it's a, it's a song about him singing about alcoholism regarding his dad and his stepfather. It shouldn't be. Like, it's kind of like singing uh, Hey Ya. Yeah, yeah. A song yeah. about divorce, but very fun to sing along to. But even certain lines, it's like, where the hell do you think about this? Like, this way is a water slide away from me that takes her further every day. So be cool. Like, I, yeah. I love that part. Like, that part is so cool to, to sing along to. Um, and then it kicks right back into one of the coolest choruses on the album. So highly, highly recommend. If you haven't heard Say It Ain't So, definitely check that song out. First one to check out on the album if you're 
if you're curious about Weezer. Curious about Weezer. That's my new podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it'll be going live uh, next week. Nice. <laughs> Here's track number eight. I've got Dungeon Master's Guide. I've got 12 sided die. I've got Kitty Fry. And that's like the, I feel like that's in the garage. Track number eight is, is the most nerd rock of the album yes. for sure. Absolutely. They reference, I mean, you heard it there. They, they reference Kiss, which is one of Rivers Como's uh, biggest influences for starting Weezer. Uh, they also talk about Dungeons uh, Dungeons and Dragons, even comic books with Kitty Pride. Um, and this is years before uh, the X-Men movies were coming out. So to be a comic book fan back then, you were you had real nerd status, especially yes. at D&D. Like, it's hard to put yourself in in the shoes of them, but to be in your early twenties and the nineties playing D and D reading comic books, like it was not the thing to be doing. Uh, so to be singing about it in this, uh, in this song, basically like a nerd anthem, the song kind of is. And, uh, we missed the intro there in the, in the bit that Mike played, but there's also a really good, uh, another acoustic intro, uh, paired with, um, a harmonica. Yeah, a lot of is. different instruments too on this. You know, we, we actually missed on, um, undone. The ending of undone is actually kind of mm. crazy. Um, I'm not sure there, it is a piano at some point there, but I'm not sure what else he's using to kind of create that like you know what I mean? you know what I'm talking about. They're really good at closing songs. Like finishing songs is an art. I know a lot of people that don't play music or don't think about it, or maybe you don't listen to songs all the way through, which some people don't. Like you know you skip like when you start to hear a song fade, but like a lot of songs back in the day, especially grunge, like they would either repeat themselves over and over again. <laughs> And fade out, or they would just ring out, like yeah. they would just hit the last chord in the in the chorus, and then that was it. And that was kind of the way most songs ended yeah. back then. But they were really good at making outro riffs. Basically, they're such a good band. At least they were such a great band. At, and then that and that fades into Surf Wax America, um, yeah. a more upbeat surf rock game, uh, surf rock, game, surf rock song. So, yeah, can't can't say enough good things about the way every song starts and ends. Great, great, great sequencing for sure. Number mm-hmm. nine, holiday. Uh, uh, definitely the the probably the most upbeat song maybe on the whole album. Uh, uh, just a, a great kind of just you know at least just talking about being on a holiday. Let's just go, Neil. Let's go on a holiday. Let's go hang out. And and this is a great example of dynamics used in uh, in this album because another thing that just doesn't happen a lot anymore for albums is dynamics. Everything is loud all the time. That's kind of how right. song, uh, albums were right before uh, Weezer and how albums were right at, like, basically now. Blue Album does a great job of using dynamics properly. There is that, that you know, little section there with uh, with Matt Sharp and Rivers, uh, Friends, when they have just the bass going. Yeah, yeah. The back and forth between Rivers and Matt where they're, uh, they're kind of humming slash mumbling the songs, almost like a like Elvis or something. I don't even know how to describe it, but it's such a weird song. This this is so, because it starts off as being like a road trip song almost. Yeah. Uh, Let's go away for a while, you and I, to a strange and distant land where they speak no words of truth, but we don't understand any way. Like it's very upbeat and it sounds like two people on a road trip and then it gets and then it kind of dives or spirals into that kind of creepy spirals snapping with, with yeah with the snapping and the 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 bass and the the hi-hat and everything like it's just such a weird bridge and then it goes right back into that heavy downstrum like we heard in the first song with my name is Jonas and almost grungy to a point but it's it's not grungy it's very Weezer whatever that yeah. is I don't know how yeah. to describe it yeah I love this song definitely one of the songs that I don't remember listening to as much as a kid, but one that I appreciate more and more, I mainly because after In the Garage, which was a great nerd song, I was really excited to get to the last track on the album, which is Only in Dreams. Yes, it is, Neil. And it's one of my favorite songs to listen to. Clocking had eight minutes long, too. So let's listen to uh, one little part of it. Just a great, great example of like a amazing build up. Mm-hmm. Like my God, I I always get chills every time that comes up. It's hard to appreciate that moment in the song without hearing the whole song leading up to it because the song, like you said, is eight know, minutes. That's okay. <laughs> the song is eight minutes. Part of that is silence. A lot of it is that bass line um, that you're hearing there. That's the intro. Uh, but yeah, the chorus is really good. But really, that song, what you're waiting for, is the last. What is that? Three minutes, I think, of that song is just. It's got to be like 10 layers of guitars. It's just layer after layer after layer of guitar sounds, which I guess if you're not into this type of music probably sounds like pure noise, but 
I remember the first time I heard this, I think I might've been riding my bike home from work or something like that. And just like getting lost in the, like, I don't get lost in music very much anymore, which is a weird thing to say, but just like instruments, like yeah, yeah. how they went from that little bass, like that little bass line that do, 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 do. And then they start adding on like the drums start coming back in and then the guitar starts coming back in just regular palm mutes or whatever. And then they start all the good, like, just like I said, 10 layers of guitars on top of each other. And like the lyrics are pretty good too, and it's another one of these slow, dreamlike song, like a song that you can almost fall asleep to, but then be woken <laughs> yeah. up because you get that crash later on. And again, perfect, perfect ending song, right? It, it really brings oh, yeah. all the different emotions that you have in this album all together in one fell swoop, and and that's really hard to do. I feel I always, I always judge an album a lot by what they choose to end this, the album with. And I think Only in Dreams is the perfect way to do it. Uh, eight minutes long, probably the longest Weezer song. Yep. Like, <laughs> I can't imagine there's a longer one. Uh, not that I know of unless it's on one of their uh, song, one of, unless it's off one of their albums from the 2000s. I, I can't think of anything even remotely longer. But I, I'm like you. I agree. I, I always look forward to the last song of an album. Uh, some of the my favorite songs are last songs on albums. I always like to see how a band is going to close out the album if it's going to be i really love how some bands especially pop punk bands in uh in the 2010s they kind of made songs that sort of encapsulated all 10 or 12 songs into one like they literally did callbacks to some of their earlier songs that became a bit of a trend yeah. in the um in the indie punk pop punk scene which is really cool um this song this song doesn't do that but it's still just musically just an incredible song i like when last songs have you know, the best messages or sometimes the catchiest choruses, sometimes on a lot of pop punk emo, emo songs, or a lot of pop punk emo albums, they end up being a really emotional uh, song about, you know, a breakup or a parent dying or something like that. It's always something incredibly depressing. But this one is this one is really just it, it's a bit of a trip because you have to hang in for eight minutes, but well worth it. And I think you do have to listen to the whole album to get the full effect. You, you definitely do. Yeah. Yeah. I think, again, like you said, this is definitely an album that is best listened to in that sequence. Of course, the singles like Buddy Holly and Insane and So that you hear on the radio all the time, like they work as singles and they are great singles. But but the rest of the album just it, they, they get even better, you know, when heard in the context of the album. And I think that's that's a mark of a really great song. Exactly. And technically, the album, Mike, doesn't end there because there was a deluxe edition released in 2004 that came with a few extra tracks for us. We finally got, 12 years later, a few extra songs. We got uh, Michael and Carly, Suzanne, my... my Avaline? My Avaline. My, there we go. My it's Avaline. a barbershop quartet, like, That's warm-up right. song. <laughs> That's right. It's kind of like a, uh, yeah, barbershop quartet. You nailed it. Reminds me of something from Bioshock Infinite or something. Yes. Uh, Jamie. And then we got some uh, live versions of My Name is Jonas, Surf Wax America, Jamie, No One Else, demos of Undone, the sweater song, Paper Fate. Paperface, which is not on the album, and Only in Dreams, and then pre-production recordings of Lullaby for Wayne, I Swear It's True, which I think are both also more like barbershop quartet songs, and then an original album recording of Say It Ain't So, so a lot of extra things there, uh, which is great, great package. You have uh, the Blue Album uh, Deluxe Edition, which is a great purchase. Uh, I do want to ask you though, Mike, we talked a lot about songs here that we love, and obviously these are 10 solid songs, 10 of the best songs from the 90s from one of the best songs from one of the best albums from 1994 are there any songs here that you think or a song here that you would say would be the weakest one of the bunch hmm good 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 question i like that um hmm i think maybe for me no one else is the weakest of yeah. this uh it 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 obviously is more cringy to listen to today uh i think it works in the sense of being a second song, but this can never be a single. It can never be, you know, an outright song on on its own. I feel like I have to listen to no one else with, uh, have it bookend by my name is Jonas and the world has turned and left me here. I feel like every one of these songs could be just played on their own, but that one I feel like specifically probably needs to be in the album format. Yeah, I think for me, it's between no one else. And I think surf wax America, unfortunately, as much as I like mm -hmm. that song and it's fun, I really think that them realizing that kind of beach theme uh, 20 years later with uh, the White Album, I much prefer the White Album to uh, Surf Wax America. So like if I had to take one song out of the album, I guess it would be that one, unfortunately. I think, I don't know, it's just like the, the lyrics are a bit a bit cheap. I don't know, like it's it's nothing super yeah. groundbreaking for anybody. It's just a fun surfing song. I'm also not, I'm not from uh, Los Angeles, California, <laughs> which is where they're from. So I guess it makes a lot more sense if you live out there, but 
If you're from Toronto, a surfing song just doesn't quite resonate the uh, the same way. I mean, to be fair, Rivers is from Boston, so uh, but uh, originally, but yes, he did yeah. move out to uh, to L.A. I did want to mention with the deluxe edition uh, that the great song Michael and Carly is on there, which uh, Rivers just basically wrote as a thank you to uh, Michael and Carly, who were uh, these two girls who were the fan club founders and basically found club, club coordinators uh, for Weezer uh, when they first started and did amazing promotion for them like they were they were on the road with them they were they were constantly like pushing the band like uh rivers constantly is like yeah like these guys really made weezer what they were at the very beginning and they tragically died in a car accident in uh 1997 so it really Mm -hmm. sad but uh uh and then you you actually dropped a crazy knowledge bomb on me today neil yeah, I did. I was learning a lot about these two because I was really interested to – it's really interesting to research bands and like how they marketed themselves in a time way before cell phones and social media. And these two, yeah. Michael and Carly, were basically like social media coordinators, but they they didn't have websites. Like they didn't have podcasts. They didn't have YouTube. So they literally ran this fan club where they would you know, help promote the band and share T-shirts and stickers and, and flyers for shows and everything. And they were just – really good friends of the band and it was really sad when they when they passed away in the Pinkerton tour unfortunately and it was also a big reason why Weezer took a big hiatus in 1997 to 2000 between Pinkerton and the Green album uh, they died in a car accident after a Colorado show which was really tragic but I, I did learn that the there's a song by the band that Mike and I both love Jimmy Eat World um, Hear You Me which at first I remember I guess it's just one of those things that people tell you enough times you think it's true but I remember hearing a bunch of times that it was about the lead singer Jim's mom dying in a car accident. And that's really what I thought it was. Uh, That was just what I assumed to be fact. But I read that that song is actually about Michael and Carly dying in in a car accident. So, and I actually thought that uh, originally when I first saw that track on the deluxe album, that that's what that song was going to be about. But I think it was recorded and written before they died. So it's yeah. not it's not in their memory or anything. I guess it was when it was put on the deluxe, but it's not a sad song. Uh, the one by Jimmy Eat World is far sadder. Um, yeah, yeah, but uh, that's a fun, not a fun fact. That's a fact for <laughs> if you're a fan. If you're a fan of Jimmy Eat World and Weezer, which I think those two fan bases cross over quite a bit, uh, that's what that song by Jimmy Eat World is about. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, Neil, I think we can kind of move on to our closing thoughts about about Weezer's The Blue Album. And uh, first question, of course, uh, would you recommend The Blue Album to our listeners out there? 150%. It's a little bit hard to find because it's not on Spotify's uh, most recommended album list for Weezer, unfortunately. <laughs> so you have to scroll down a little bit, unfortunately. Literally, you have to scroll to their very first album, uh, the Blue Album. But yes, I 100% recommend listen to this album driving or walking or just don't be doing anything. Like don't don't be playing a game. Don't be reading. Don't be whatever it is you do while you listen to music. Just sit and listen to this album and just I don't know, just listen to the words, listen to the music. If if you're not an appreciator of music, you might become one after listening to it. But I, I, I really do highly recommend this song for people of all ages, honestly, like parents, kids, teenagers, adults like us in our late 20s, early 30s. Um, it's pretty easy to find if you're a music collector, like it's at every music record store on CD and vinyl. Do you have this on vinyl, Mike? I forget. I actually don't have this on vinyl because I don't love the pressing, but I do have oh. it on my deluxe edition CD. Okay, so. there you go. But it's ten. It's ten tracks. It's forty-one minutes of your life, and I think you're really gonna love it. Um, you can show this this album off to your friends. You could become a Weezer fan. You can maybe see them live. They still tour today, which is incredible. Um, very accessible band. Very family friendly. They have very few swear words in any of their songs. So like this <laughs> podcast, very family friendly. Almost like n- the Nintendo of music, if you will. Uh, Weezer is, but. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure about that, but yeah, sure. <laughs> what about not? you, Mike? What, what do you say about the Blue Album? Do you recommend that the fans out there pick it up, listen to it, stream it, whatever it is? I honestly should do because, like, especially the Deluxe Edition, I think you should definitely just listen to the Deluxe Edition. Michael and Carly, Suzanne, Jamie, those were really good songs that didn't make the album. Um, but... Uh, I think it's important to listen to this because Weezer has become such a meme and especially for younger generations like uh, a friend of the show Harrison's sister is always kind of like they always consider Weezer like the most memed band right. uh, because they, they are like they kind of and they've embraced that as well uh, and you think of, of, of you know where they've come from and where they've gone and uh, again I think it's just really cool to listen to this and think of yourself in 1994 and like think of this coming out and 
really being in awe about their talent and the production of this. But um, I'm going to let Leslie Jones from SNL actually uh, say it even better than I can. I'm just a little oh, okay. confused because real Weezer fans know that they haven't had a good album since Pinkerton in 96. Oh, wow. uh oh, looks like we have a purist in the house. Yeah. All right, all right, all right. I'm going to have fun with this. What's happening right now? <laughs> What's happening is that Weezer put out two perfect albums, Blue and Pinkerton, and the rest was pretty corny. Wow, well, that's your opinion, but me, I'm ride or die. For Weezer? <laughs> Classic SNL skit. That came out in late in the late 2010s, like 2018, 2019, just before COVID, I think. It's one of the random SNL skits that's an absolute classic with Matt Damon, of all actors. And they're at a dinner. Go check it out. It's on YouTube or something like that. It's just it's just a, two families at a dinner party, and they're, they're <laughs> debating whether or not Weezer was good after 96, which was hilarious for our group because Mike and I, especially, <laughs> and friend of the show, Dan, very big Weezer fans, and we talk about, we literally have these conversations from time to time while playing board games or whatever, so yep. it was howling, laughing, listening to that uh, that skit. Just a classic. It, it was, I mean, it was basically just like, this is what Reddit is like in real life. Yes. It was, they was printed the a Reddit of, page, basically. <laughs> that was the idea of the bit, and because there are a lot of, a lot of ride or die, you know, Weezer fans from, for people like us who are very much on the Leslie Jones side of like, yeah, like, like Weezer or like Blue Album Pinkerton and yeah there's there's a a couple of good things in there as well but for the most part you know not never being able to live up to those two albums and then there's the the Matt Damons who are the true <laughs> rider dies and yeah I got to give them credit they they're hanging on yeah, we we saw because we went to see Weezer in two thousand and sixteen. We saw we saw a few. It's interesting to see the ride or die people, like people jamming out to Beverly Hills, which I get. That's their that's probably their biggest radio single, honestly. So, yep. Yep. totally get it. But we were there really to see Blue and Pinkerton and White Album songs. Yeah, yeah, those yep. those I I respect the ride or die people. But as listeners who have listened to us for a long time probably know me by now, I don't necessarily love everything in the things that I love. Like I've talked plenty of trash about Nintendo and Star Wars and Scooby-Doo and all the things that I love. There's plenty of things within those communities that I do not like. I don't have to like everything that ever comes out just because it's marketed towards me. So uh, appreciate the ride or die folks out there though. You guys keep it going because Weezer seems to be putting out an album every two minutes. And uh, <laughs> But if my favorite band of all time was uh, putting out an album every two minutes, I think I'd be pretty stoked about that too. Yeah, it's I don't mind it. I definitely don't mind it. It's not too bad. Thank you, Weezer, for, for giving us some tracks good and bad but uh but yeah it's uh my kind of last thought here is just it's um listening back uh i i was i was also reading some reviews of weezer and uh, of, of blue album and seeing what people said in 1994 what people say today uh and there's a great pitchfork uh, uh, re review on it and i don't usually love pitchforks reviews but this one was really good and uh there's a great line in it that called this album a unifying thread of identity and I'm like, yes, that's a great line wow. to um, to explain what this album is. It is absolutely so sure of itself while also being not sure of itself at all. And <laughs> it's that cohesiveness that we've talked about many times on this podcast before, and especially in our last series, uh, where we talked a lot about how when games are made, it's the, the best games are the ones that it seems like just one person did the entire thing. Uh, and had one singular vision, even though you know that it was done by hundreds, if not thousands of people. Same thing with Blue Album, right? It's It was obviously mainly a Rivers-created thing, but um, all the, the band members like Matt Sharp and Brian Bell and even Jason Cropper, who was, who was in the band right before this album ended up coming out, so they had to kind of overdub and of course rick okazek with his production it just uh, all these people coming together michael and carly with the promotions to to create a, a really great piece of music and a piece of art honestly um and that doesn't happen very often so it was uh, i like that a lot yeah me too I, I like the 90s music in general and we're going to talk a lot more about albums on this podcast we have a lot more albums on on our docket that we haven't even announced yet so we're excited to hopefully talk about uh way more in the future we hope that this new format of podcasting for us we're so used to talking about video games we we're trying to figure out the best way to cover music as well so we hope that uh everybody out there like this we're excited to come back in a in a few weeks we're gonna we're gonna have another album to talk about but uh before we talk about another album, Mike, why don't you let listeners know what they can expect next week on episode three of Unlocking What Was Cool? 
On episode 3, we are going back to the GameCube, and we are talking about Luigi's Mansion. And of course, we talked about this game way back on episode 2 of the GameCube is Cool, uh, and that was in May of 2020, Neil. So it's been a long time. We've learned a lot. We've grown yeah. a lot. I think we're a little better than we were almost three years ago, and we're going to be having some guests on who weren't able to come on the first time because we didn't know how to bring guests on either. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's, it's going to be a great time because Luigi's Mansion is uh, such an iconic game. We really wanted to do it justice and give it a little revisit. And we'll be doing these GameCube revisits about once a month for the for the next couple months. So uh, stay tuned for more of that. Yes, we're quite a bit more mature now since we talked about Luigi's Mansion. I have chest hair now personally, so that's good. I'm, I'm quite a bit older now. <laughs> Three years have passed. Uh, definitely. We, it is something that we've been wanting to redo. We wanted to redo it back on the GameCube was cool, I think, a while ago, just because a lot of people downloaded that episode. And that was literally yes. our second time on a microphone and uh going back to it now it's super cringy for us so uh we would love to take the opportunity to uh replay and revisit luigi in his first standalone game on our favorite console of all time so it's going to be a ton of fun talking about that with you mike and some of our friends of the show that we have developed over the past three years so very excited for that but until then ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for listening to episode two of unlocking what was cool new episode every thursday on all the podcast services leave us a rating and a review so we can make the show better you can support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash unlocking what was cool all patrons get the show ad free and a little early thank you so much to everybody over there you can follow us on instagram twitter and facebook just search what was cool pod and join the weekly conversation on our discord channel share us with your friends and family tell matt sharp neil says hi thank you so much for the support and we will see you next week see you next week Bye bye The Unlocking What Was Cool podcast is a recorded and produced show from Toronto, Canada, and hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. Additional voices provided by Victor. Special thank you to our Patreon supporters. I Rebel, Dean Donian, Joey Sirico, White Wind Wolf L, Link, Marty Thompson, Double Ugly, Benito Benito, AJ Olson 11, Cube Dude, Bogus Lotus, and Jude. See you in dreams. See you only in dreams. Only in dreams. dreams. Speaking of blue, I, I, I'm making, I, in my crock pot right now in my kitchen, uh, <laughs> I have garlic in it, right? And I don't know if you know this, but garlic turns blue. Wow. I, apparently. <laughs> I had to Google this because now I feel like I'm going to kill us kill us in the, in the condo, but I Googled it and apparently <laughs> it's safe to eat. So if I'm not on next week's episode, you'll know why. <laughs> Let's find out. I'll see you next week. Maybe. I'll review the blue garlic next week. <laughs> <laughs>